Okay, so I'm so glad that you guys have chosen this workshop today just as God as Father. I think very likely I may tear up at some points um, along the way. That's okay. Like, crying is fine. It's very good. It releases things in our bodies that can't be released any other way. And so, like I was mentioning before, I, our relationships with our dad are really unique and they're very individualized. Like, even within sibling sets, your relationship with your dad and with your mom likely looks different than your brother or your sister. It's just how how the world works, right? And so just the caveat is like people have written books about this topic. Like people have conducted countless hours of research. That is not this person that's speaking to you today. I have read some books, um, listened to some sermons on that, but we are just going to skim the topic tonight. Um, not tonight, this morning. Um, feels like it's been a long day already, friends. Um, there might be a brief time of Q&A and I can turn off the recorder. I will just be honest, I don't love Q&A. I don't think quickly on my feet. And also, I feel like the question that you're asking likely has a story behind it. And I don't know that story. So I'm happy to talk with you one-on-one next week or in the weeks ahead. But likely, your questions, I will not do your questions justice in the time that we have here. So feel free to write them down. I'll do my best. But So a lot, the majority of the content that I'm sharing with you today did not originate with me. It's what... I've really learned throughout the years. Um, I've read books, listened to a lot of sermons on this topic. Two books that I would recommend if you're wanting to do more of a deeper dive. There's a really tiny book called Your God is Too Small. So it's called Your God is Too Small. It's by J.B. Phillips. Excellent book on just your concept of God, the ideas that you have about who God is. And another book that I, I also really, really love, it's a little bit longer. It's called Do You Think I'm Beautiful by Angela Thomas. Do You Think I'm Beautiful by Angela Thomas. Also, Louis Giglio has a terrific sermon series, like multiple sermons on this topic. You can find it on YouTube, 2019, April and May of 2019 on YouTube. So the idea, our concept of God impacts every single area of our life. So some people may view him as a CEO, right? He is very capable, but we're just a little too low on the ladder to get his time or attention. He doesn't have time for me. Or maybe we view him as like a grandpa. He's like doting on us. He delights in us. But he's just kind of out of touch with reality. Just a little too old, right? Or maybe you view him as like the cosmic policeman, just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can just punish you so quickly. Or maybe you have a more projected view of God. He likes what you like. He stands for what you stand for, and he's against the things that you're against, right? So we project our view of God onto him. But I would really encourage you in the weeks and months ahead to ask God to reveal to you misunderstandings that you have about him, lies that you've bought into about who he is, because we are sinful people. He is holy. He is separate. He is so much greater than our minds can even conceive. And so we have this warped perspective, right, of, of all of life because sin has tainted every part of us. And so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the wrong thinking that we have about God. And I don't know about you because maybe it reveals my projected image of God. Like, I don't like it when people think things about me that aren't true. I wonder what God thinks when people think things about him that aren't true. Hearsay, things that they've never experienced or read on their own in the Bible, but to have just heard someone else say. So my story is really unique, like your story is very unique. You know, I had a really great dad. 
he was present, he was active, he was very involved in our lives. Um, the teenage years were a struggle. Hope there's a chair up here, and we can um, move one back there. But um, So the teenage years in the Gillum household were not a lot of fun. They were not incredibly pleasant. We fought a lot. I was moody. I wanted distance, and then he would react in anger, and then I would retreat. And so it was just this back and forth. You may experience that being a teenage girl, so or maybe it was just in my home. But I feel like the g- gift that God gave me, too, is that my relationship with my dad was really restored in college. That um, I knew when he, he passed away my senior year of college, that I knew that when he died, that he loved me. And I knew that he was so proud of me. And he knew the same thing, that I loved him deeply. And so there, there was really nothing left unsaid because my dad just fell over dead at home. There was no um, warnings was no goodbye. None of us got to say goodbye. And so that was the gift that God gave me in that season of grief. And so I've actually lived longer, lived more years without a dad than I ever had with my dad. And so you know, we're going to talk about just different kinds of dads. My dad is an absent dad. My dad is absent due to death. Other people's dads are absent due to divorce or choices, or disease, all sorts of things. Um, but that's just a little of my story, and I'm happy to share more of that at a later time. You know, there's so much about the heart of God that I, I don't understand. My very limited capabilities. And I don't, I just think it's fascinating that the God of the universe would decide, I'm going to place people in families with a mom and a dad and children. And that's the way that this, this society is going to flourish and grow, is that children would grow up in a home where they are loved, where they receive training, right? Um, where they're disciplined and love, right? Because you've been around little kids. <laughs> little kids who aren't disciplined are no fun to be around. Little kids, even who are disciplined, can be hard to be around, right? Because there's just that rebellion in us. I want my own way. Don't say no to me. You know, and moms and dads have different relationships. I had a different relationship with my mom than I had with my dad, right? But when we look at Scripture, God has some very clear guidelines for dads. We long as women and as young women, and that's a lot with that book Angela Thomas wrote, Do You Think I'm Beautiful, talks about, we long for approval. We long for acceptance, for affection, for participation in our lives. It is God-given. We crave it. It's foundational. But when we don't get that, there's a gap that's created, right? And that gap can lead to all sorts of issues. You know that in your own life and you've seen it in the lives of other people. You know, if our dads don't say, I love you, I'm proud of you, I'm here for you, I'm going to provide the safety net when you fail, we struggle, right? It's a big struggle because we're created to live in a world with a dad who provided those things for us. And yet I know a lot of you sit in this room today and that was not your reality. I am not naive to think otherwise. So there's wounds, right? There's wounds, there's baggage, there's instability as a result of this gap that was created. And there are a lot of emotions created to the to just come along with the idea that, that God wants me to relate to him like a father. And the idea that God invites me to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, kind of seems off-putting, right, and unsettling to some people, just undesirable to a lot of people. If that is what God's like, if God is like my dad, I don't want anything to do with him. I've heard that many times. But it's so fascinating because you think if God 
primarily wants us to relate to him like a father, then it just makes sense that the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy fatherhood, right? Some of the research I was in is, is not so much, I don't think my generation, but more your generation, is known as the fatherless generation. That the impact of not having a father in your lives is tremendous. So it's this, you see that the divine plan of hell attack the dad, attack the man in the home, and break up what our concept of father is, so then that impacts our relationship with God. And it creates this stumbling block, right, in our lives. And so some of us will have a hard time ever moving past that stumbling block. And that's just the enemy at work, right? Just attacking something beautiful that God has created so that we would understand his heart. So we need to see that there is an agenda that the enemy has, and he is trying to thwart the very plans of God. But our God is greater in that he can heal, and he can reframe, and he can redefine that, that all hope is not lost. But um, one of the sermons I listened to from Louis Giglio, he kind of described dads in these six different ways that I thought would be helpful to pass on to you just to kind of give you a frame. I think that dads fall in multiple categories of these, right? Uh, I don't think it's specifically your dad has to be this number. He's the number one kind of dad. No, no. Um, I think it could, excuse me, move either way. So number one, absent father, like I explained about my dad. So my dad is not present. Death, divorce, dysfunction maybe disinterest, but for a lot of people, their dad is absent. So that's the first one, absent father. The second one is abusive father, um, one who hurt you deeply, right? Either emotionally, verbally, physically, psychologically, all sorts of ways, but an abusive father. The third one is a performance-based father, right? So his love was really dependent on what you did. So when you did well, you got the I love you, you got the I'm proud of you, and when you didn't, that was withheld. So the performance-based dad. Number four, maybe you had a passive father. He was there, but he didn't take the leadership role that God had given him. He didn't speak up. He didn't speak in. He was present, but he didn't really give you what you needed in that because he was just passive. The fifth one may be an antagonistic dad. Um, Maybe you felt it was like he was standing in your way. It was some sort of competition. Um, he wasn't for you, but he was against you kind of idea. And the last one is an empowering dad. He's not perfect. He loved you. You knew it. He told you he loved you on your best days, and he told you he loved, loved you on your worst days. He showed up again and again. He was dependable. He knew that the role of a father was to teach you and to train you and to launch you. And you knew that you could soar because if you failed, he was going to be there to pick up the pieces and to get you back in the game again. And the empowered father is the one that we long for, right? Not the passive dad, but he disciplined and left. He was involved in your life in training you in order that you could become the young woman that God designed you for you to be. Oh, he's seeing this. That fatherhood is is broken. We're all broken people, but the enemy has really attacked fatherhood. You know, and like I said before, a lot of people think, if God is like my dad, I want absolutely nothing to do with a God like that. But something that Louis Giglio said that I just wrote down verbatim, all caps, highlighted to pass on to you guys, is that God is everything I dreamed my dad would be and way more. God is everything I dreamed my dad would be and so much more. 
that this is really important to get this. He's not just a bigger version of my dad. He's not just a bigger version of my dad. He is the perfect version of my dad. So God is the perfect version of your dad. He is not the reflection of your dad. He is the perfection of your dad. The dad you long for that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus that we can get and have um, be reconciled to God. So it's interesting because Jesus mentions 200 times in both all four Gospels that God is our Father. Even in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he teaches us to say, Our Father, right? Who art in heaven, holy is your name. And then in John 14, 5 through 6, I thought this was so fun. So John 14, 5 through 6, Thomas says to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So we know the heart of God through Jesus, through his actions. How God would respond to people is exactly how Jesus responded to people, right? And I think a lot of us struggle with that is because we think that you know, our relationship with our dad defines us. Maybe we feel like we aren't good enough, right? Um, we're unlovable, or we have to earn love and acceptance. That, that maybe we feel like we aren't worth it. But God wants to heal. He wants to reframe. He wants to redefine. He wants you to know so much of what Julie was sharing this morning is that he loves you because you're you, right? His love is, is based on who he says you are, and he has determined your worth as invaluable. He gave his son for you. And 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. And like Julie said, my last night, I have the same, I love the word lavish. You know, it's extravagant, expensive, impressive, you know? The guy isn't passing out these tiny Dixie cups full of love. No, he's lavishing it on us in an extravagant way. So I think it's so important for us to take a few minutes and talk about what that means as our status as children of God. And for those of us who've committed our lives to follow Jesus, we have turned from walking or walking into things, walking our own way, right? And we have surrendered and we are walking the way of Jesus. We're no longer in charge of our life. We're open-handed saying, I want you to be in charge of my life, Jesus. We are adopted into the family of God. So everyone you will ever see this side of heaven is made in the image of God, right? But only those who've chosen to surrender following their own way to follow Jesus are adopted into the family of God. So Romans 8, 16 through 17 says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So it's really interesting that not only are we children, but we're heirs, co-heirs with Christ. So it's funny, over Christmas break, um, my mom decided that we should meet with an estate lawyer. Not because we have money, but because, because I lost my dad so young, we talk about death quite a bit in my family. So I, I know where all the paperwork is, I know this and that. But my mom just wanted to make sure she has everything in order. So we just needed some, some counsel like from this woman, like, what should we do? Like... Because there's all these different opinions about, you know, nursing homes are expensive, memory care units, we want to be prepared, and all these different questions. And so 
my brother and I went. I have a sister, but she stayed at home with the kids, which is great. So my brother and I went, you know, asked all these questions. So my brother and I reminded him, he and I, so Trevor, Brady, and Aaron, we are the heirs. I mean, the Gillums do not have money. Um, but we will inherit, right, what is left of my mom's estate. Um, don't think castle, think small, um, small home. So isn't it mind-blowing to think that we, who are followers of Jesus, are co-heirs with Christ? Like, that is our status. Not only are we daughters of the King of Kings, but we're co-heirs. Like, that's huge. And another verse that so beautifully describes God's invitation to us is in Hebrews 10, 19-22. Hebrews 10, 19-22 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, Jesus' body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, right? Draw near him with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So before surrendering our lives to Jesus and following Jesus, we are enemies of God, right? That is our status. But when we begin a relationship with Jesus, we go from being enemies of God to daughters. Like what an incredibly drastic change, right? Enemy to a daughter. I have the same access to God that Jesus does, right? That I can approach his throne with great boldness. And I'll be honest, it's only people I know very well and who know me well that I approach with boldness, right? So if I don't, I don't approach the Oval Office with boldness, not at all. I don't think I ever will. I don't think any of the Gillums are ever going to be president, right? But, but Jill and Hunter do, right? They're related to him. And if I was to visit the White House, which I may do this summer with my family, we shall see, um, and say he wanted to meet the Gillums. Like, they're from Oklahoma. I want to meet this family. We would be coached, right, on what to say, what to wear, how to approach him, how to even refer to him. Not, not Joe, not even Mr. Biden, you know, Mr. President, right? That's how, with great respect because that's who he's, I would never call him dad, right? It's like, no, <laughs> like, no, that's not the relationship I have with him. He's the leader. I'm not. I'm, you know, just a, just a citizen. Um, but the God of the universe who ranks so much higher than the president of the United States, the God who was and is and is to come says, please come to me and relate to me as your father, as your perfect Heavenly Father, the one your heart longs for, the acceptance, the affection, the assurance and security, he has what we long for. And we, he does this through adoption, right? And adoption is, is so beautiful. We see this a lot in the New Testament, but I thought it was really interesting because adoption in America is very common. My brother and sister-in-law adopted a little girl, so adoption is part of our family. I have lots of friends from college who've adopted but I wanted us to take a little bit of time to look at what adoption was like when Paul was writing about adoption because it will provide some clarity and context, I feel like some insight into how radical being adopted into the family of God was. So, so adoption was not common in the Jewish world. So a person's standing was based on their birth, right? What they were at birth. So this is the reason, like you may have read some passages in the New Testament, if a man were to die, then his widow was instructed to marry his brother. And you're just like, this is so weird. Well, they would get married, and then their firstborn son would technically be a part of her deceased husband's line. So the line would flow 
through him. So there was never any thought of a widow adopting a son to carry on a, a name, family name. That did not happen. So remember when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John 3? He uses the Jewish concept of being born again. So he says, you know, born again or being born from above to explain how to be brought into the family of God. So, but the interesting thing is when this time in history, Rome was actually occupying them, right? So in the Roman world, though, adoption was really common and a kind of significant practice. So today, you know, like we were talking about that estate lawyer, like my mom has a will, right? Your parents probably have wills, and you can leave your wealth and property really to anyone you want. So one time, if you guys have ever been on the freshman retreat, we were at the park, and we saw this family. We just started talking, and there's a very young couple and this lady had died in that neighborhood this is a very very wealthy neighborhood and she left everything to the dogs and so this young couple got to live for free in her home as long as the dog was alive so in america you can do anything right like that's just the ludicrousy of america right like the dog i care more about the dog but that's so that's what we can do today but in the roman world with few exceptions a man had to pass his wealth to his sons. And if a man had no son or felt like his son was incapable of managing the wealth or unworthy of it, right? Then he could adopt someone else that he's deemed as a worthy son. So these adoptions are not adoptions like we know today. These are not infant adoptions. Like my niece was adopted as an infant, right? No, that, that's common today. That's not what we're talking about this. These were typically older boys or adult men. And sometimes the ones they adopted were older than the man who was adopting. It's just, it's crazy, right? But when the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee would have all his debts canceled, right? And he would receive a new name. Just like when we begin a relationship with Jesus, all the sin is paid for and we get a new name, a new identity. So he would be the legal son of his adopted father, entitled to all the rights and benefits of a son. But get this, a father could disown his natural born son. That could happen. But adoption was irreversible. Just like your adoption into the family of God. Irreversible, friends. So I don't know, have any of you guys ever seen this old movie called Ben-Hur? It's like old Charlton Heston. I've never seen it, but there's a beautiful picture in here of a really vivid portrayal of adoption that I thought I would share with you guys. So in this movie, Judah Ben-Hur is a Jew. And he's been imprisoned on a Roman ship as a rower. And in battle, the ship sinks. And he escapes, but he saves the life of this Roman commander, Arius. And Arius's son had been killed. And so he ultimately adopts Judah, who is pardoned from his crimes, his supposed crimes, and he's given a new name of young Arius. And he has all the rights of that, his inheritance. And in the scene where the adoption is announced, Arius takes off his like, ancestral signet ring and he gives it to young Arius. And young Arya says he has received a new life, a new home, and a new father. And in Jesus, we have that too. We have abundant life found in Jesus, right? We have a new home in heaven. This world is not our home. And we have a new father, a perfect heavenly father that loves us unconditionally. And I think it is so important for us to understand, if we want to understand more about God as father, to understand who we are in him as his daughters. That we have a special and unique relationship with our perfectly heavenly father. And like, let's be honest, for the rest of our lives, 
we will struggle with an imperfect view of God because we exist this side of heaven. You know, Isaiah 55 says that God's ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. He's just so much bigger. We cannot wrap our finite human minds around the infinite God. But even understanding God imperfectly allows us to build our lives on an unshakable foundation. Make it a pursuit of your life to get to know God, the God of the, the universe who invites us to know him. He is just so much greater than our minds can conceive. So we really have to guard against doing what I'm prone to do is lowering him to my standards, right? Projecting who I am on him, that he must be a lot like me. He likes what I like, right? That annoys me, so that must annoy him, right? But that's not how that works. But you can know that he alone fully understands your really complicated relationship with your dad. He was there for every minute of it. He didn't miss anything. He alone knows the pain. He knows the heartache. He knows the words spoken in haste or in anger that communicated rejection. And a verse that has just been so meaningful to me is a verse that King David wrote in Psalm 56, 8, 9. He says this, You have taken account of my miseries. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back on the day when I call. This I know. That God is for me. And in verse 11, he says, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mankind do to me? So the idea that God has not missed one tear that you've shed. And I love the image of him having a bottle. Because I think for me, I'm very emotional. I, I would be like a vat, right? So <laughs> many tears shed. We'll, we'll see how many more years I live. He may need to up, go to Costco and get more, right? It's like, this girl cries. So when you look at what's going on, though, in David's life at this point when he's writing it, he's been captured. He's a prisoner of war. That is his reality when he writes this. He has a reason, right, to cry and be sorrowful. And he says, God, my struggles are known by you. They're written down. You don't miss anything in my life. So the, this idea of, like, tears in a bottle, like, we don't know. Like, right? It's so, like God opens, like, the storehouse. Like, look at all these jars of tears. Like, no, but it's, it's the idea of remembrance, right? That David's expressing this really deep trust in God. That God will remember. God will remember sorrow. He will remember pain. He's not going to forget about it. And David is confident. But, God, you're on my side. You know me and you love me. And he says this in the midst of trouble. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? He says, and in verse 9, he says, God is for me, right? Like, to know that God is for you as well. And God may not have actual bottles, and he may not actually have literal books where he's writing things down, but he remembers. He remembers the things that happen in our life, including some of you may be even suffering for being a Christian, for being a follower of Jesus. But there's a lot of instances in Scripture where Jesus, where God recognizes man's suffering, right? That he's a tender-hearted father. That he feels with us, that he weeps with us. And it's so amazing to us that this God didn't leave it like, to our own imaginations. Like, we'll just figure out what God is like. Or just maybe whatever you imagine, that is who I'm like. No, no, he's not silent, right? In his word, he reveals himself on every single page. He shows us who he is, and Jesus is the exact representation of God. We see that in Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
So he is God personified in human flesh, right? So we see what God is like in the man Jesus, right? How God would respond to people who just faced death, you know, with Mary and Martha when they lost Lazarus, right? And um, the widow at Nain when she had just lost her only son. Like they didn't have systems in place to take care of widows and orphans like we do. And so that he met people in their pain, that's just what God does uh, for us. So in Psalm 68, 4 through 6, it says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Exalt him who rides to the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and be jubilant before him, a father of the fatherless, and a judge for the widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellion live in parched lands. You know, I love that, that this side of heaven where my dad is absent, that God says that he is the father to the fatherless. And so some of you may have absent dads not based um, on death, but based on a lot of other things. But he says he is the father to the fatherless. And you see this in this passage that God says, choose to get to know me. I'm accessible, right? No one, no one has to live fatherless. No one does. Through Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. And for those of us with wounds, and I would say that's every single one of us in this room, right? No one walks this far in life without wounds. For those of you who've been mistreated and abandoned and neglected and abused, God's saying, there's a really special place for you in my heart. I love you. I see you. I'm here. And Jesus speaks of earthly fathers in Matthew 7. He says this in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when a son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake? Will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who seek him? You know, the right view of God, or a, a view of God that's more true than what you believe today, right? Because maybe every day that's what God, the gift God gives to us is just more accurate understanding of who he is in his heart. It's just going to take some work. Right? It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be built over time. Like what Julie was talking about with, with trust last night and experiencing it, right? You can hear about it. You have to choose to trust him, right? And so invitation is, is don't just ask once. But ask and keep asking. Like, God, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. Where have I bought into lies? What misunderstandings do I have about your heart and your nature that I don't even realize I'm believed, right? So to ask, to seek, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to be persistent, like the persistent widow, because his heart is for you to be released from this prison that oftentimes, you know, the he's opened the door to the prison, but we are comfortable in it. And so we, this is what we know, and this is safety and security because this is what the walls that maybe in some ways we've constructed and his invitation is no no step into the abundant life I have for you let's remove ourselves from from just the pain and suffering and let me heal and do so much more than you could ever imagine because like this verse says your earthly dads some of them may not have even provided bread maybe God provided through other means but I would say for a lot of you they, they did right that your dad did um but how much more will your Heavenly Father give you? 
Because remember, he's the perfection of your dad. He's not the reflection of your dad. And I know I look back at my dad. Like, he did the best he knew how to do, right? Like, if the more you get to know your dads and find out maybe about their upbringing and what life was like for them, it would give you maybe a little more understanding of, of maybe things that were bigger deals to them than you understood at the time, right? You will not be a perfect mom, and you will not marry a man who will be a perfect dad, right? But by God's grace, you know, as you're walking with Jesus and marrying a man who does, your kids will grow up in a, in a home where they know they're loved and they're proud of. And you're going to keep growing in your own walk with God, and they'll benefit from that as well. So, you know, work at knowing God for yourself, but also work because the ripple effect of that in the life of other people. Because the more you understand and know the heart of God, the more that impacts those around you. Um... So for some of you, you know, there's just a lot involved in this, right? So for some of you, it's choosing to forgive a dad that may not even be around at all, that, that may not ever ask for your forgiveness. Like, but in your heart deciding that debt is canceled, you no longer owe me. Like what Eric talked about a couple weeks ago at Challenge, we just talked about an FC for those of you guys who are there for that. But also some of you may need to have like, a really humble conversation with your dad and own your part, right? Like, I was disrespectful. I lied to you about the situation. I did not honor you when I behaved like that. In owning your part, and he may never own his part, but before God, you have done what you can do uh, to be reconciled to your dad. And so asking God to reveal, are there things that you've done in your life that you need to confess, not only to God, but ask for forgiveness from for your dad, for your dad? Um, so Louis Giglio talks about redefining I thought this was really helpful he talks about how you know thinking about this in two ways to redefine our view of God to see God as he truly is God our father so redefining who we see God to be but also redefining who we are right how he sees me trumps exactly what Julie was sharing about this morning Trump's how anyone else sees me because that is who I am. I am who he says I am. And how he sees me guides my life. I don't need to strive and contort myself to try to be this people pleaser or be perfect or the other things that she was talking about. No, no, I can be who he made me to be because I am deeply loved and highly treasured by the God of the universe. So as we wrap up, some things I would love for you to remember and to reflect on. I even memorized the passage, 1 John 3, 1, that, you know, that we are loved with a love that is just lavish. Like, Jesus lavishes his great love on us. He loved us when we were enemies, right? I really struggled to love people who were my enemy, right? I struggled to love people who annoy me. So, I mean, like, just think about that. You know, Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Not waiting for me to get it together, Aaron. Okay, maybe next month we can revisit this conversation and see how you're doing then, and then maybe then. No, no. I could never earn it. Never be good enough. Never pull my life together. He paid the ultimate price, right, for us to be reconciled to God. So remembering the love that he has for us is so important. And then remembering that the second thing, that your relationship with your dad does not need to define you. It does not need to define you. You are a beloved daughter of the King of Kings. That is who you are. You're beloved. You were bought at a high price. Yes, you will experience. I wish I could um, 
paint a less realistic picture of your future. I do not know what your future is because I cannot see into the future. But I will take it to the bank and you can have everything I own. There is, your future will have pain. This life is hard, 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 hard. But that your pain doesn't define you either. He is with you. Remember David, prisoner of war, crying out to God, saying, no, no, God, I know who you are. You're a God who sees my tears. You know my miseries. I'm defined by who God says I am, not my past experiences. And I would encourage you, the last thing is, is to deal with the pain and the hurt, right? You may have stuffed it. I kind of have the bulldozer, maybe the snowplow approach to life is like better. So you just like plow up through it and then it moves to the side and it eventually melts away. That's not true. That is not what happens in life to the pain. You've got to deal with it. Because if you do not deal with it, it will come out in far uglier forms later in life. And that, that really happened to me. Like My dad died so suddenly, and it was so painful at the time. And I'm the oldest, and I have a younger brother and younger sister, so I just felt like I had to make all the decisions, and I was, you know, holding it together. So it took me about five years to realize I was angry with God, like really angry with God. And, and I mentioned that to a friend, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't you say anything? And they just told me that, you know, there's some things you need to figure out on your own. And I was far more um, teachable and humble and ready to deal with it when God revealed my anger rather than someone else saying it to me. But it took me years to deal with it. And, you know, and that's the thing with pain and grief. Like, my brother was instantly angry with God. That's how he handled it. He was so angry with God. And he really walked away from God for a while. But now he is a strong believer, loves Jesus, a great, a great father. It's really interesting because um, my dad is an identical twin. And so because of how my dad died, his twin brother had emergency surgery that saved his life. So I get to see what my dad would look like, you know, this many years later and how it kind of who he, in some ways, he's a lot like my dad. But then when I go visit my brother, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are our father. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, wow. And even my mom will bring it up like, Though even though he drives. And you know, you know, my dad never saw us graduate college. None of us graduate college. All of us have graduate degrees, saw none of that. He didn't even see my sister graduate high school, right? So we had him for a short window, but it's you know, more is caught than talked, right? And so it just manifested itself in a lot of different ways. The pain did, and so just because your siblings are handling things with your dad in a certain way doesn't mean necessarily that that's gonna be your story, right? But to think, to remind yourself that. No pain and no wound is too deep, right, for God to heal. And right now, these wounds may seem very fresh, right? Like, they're not scars yet. But as you cooperate with God and as you invite him into this healing process, you will be left with a scar, right? But it's no longer a wound. Because we have a, a scarred Savior, right? He was wounded for our transgressions, right? And so he paid such a high price for us to be reconciled to God. And he longs for us to experience God as Father and the abundant life that he came to offer. And so I hope that this very flyover view of God as Father is helpful to you. I can turn this off now if any of you guys have questions.